American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my hand tonight. Had the time of my life. When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays come down. Welcome to episode 107. Joe. Oh, that's it. Just like that, huh? Yeah. I'm not Howard Cosell or no, JJ Jackson. Have to deal with any of that shit. Or Hearn Burford. It's or a solved M- problem. Mulligan. Nance. Right. Um, and just Joe. This is the podcast that brings you all the crazy, nostalgic, interesting things from the past. Yeah, we talk about true crime, but we also talk about. Just, you know, we'll give you the tidbits of what happened so you understand history. This is a history podcast for children. No, it's not for children. (laughs) No, it's for children. If children listen to this, they know more about history. So listen up, you fuckers. All right. (laughs) Today today we're talking about 1960. We're going to finish 1967 tonight, whether or not I'm alive. And tonight we're talking about. 1967. This is the podcast that brings you... We already said that. <laughs> Monday, November 6, 1967, the Phil Donahue Show had its first telecast. Initially as a local show on WLWD in Dayton, Ohio, at 10.30 in the morning, one historian would later credit Phil Donahue with creating a new television genre, the daytime talk, talk show. Talk show. Yep. He dispensed with a typical band and microphone in hand, left the stage to talk to the audience, and even more radically, unable to get the rich and famous to come to Dayton, he would feature ordinary people as guests. Donahue's first, very first guest was atheist activist Madeline Murray O'Hare. Initially, the show would only be seen on the other five affiliates of WLWD's parent company, AFCO Broadcasting Corporation. In 1970, it would be syndicated to non-AFCO stations and would become the most popular daytime talk show in the 1980s. Yes. Every woman wanted to sleep with Phil Donahue. No, 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 no. And that same day, TWA Flight 159 skidded off the runway. You wouldn't, you wouldn't sleep with Phil Donahue. I would not. For a hundred bucks, would you sleep with Phil no. Donahue? Wouldn't I look like a prostitute? No, but for a, <laughs> for a thousand bucks, if I were no. a Phil, if I were a Phil Donahue mask for a thousand dollars, would you on our anniversary? Would you make love to me? What? If, <laughs> if it was our anniversary, okay. And somebody paid you $1,000, then I wore a Phil Donahue mask. I guess I would, yes. Yeah! Okay, move on. Into Please. Phil Donahue. Tuesday, November 7, 1967, Carl B. Stokes narrowly defeated his white opponent, Seth Taft, mm-hmm. in voting for mayor of Cleveland to become the first African-American to be elected mayor of a major United States city. Awesome. Taft was a member of Ohio's powerful Taft family. Uh, and grandson of one-time U.S. President Fat William Howard Taft. Oh, really? Who needed a forklift to get out of the bathtub. The final vote count was 129,825 for Stokes. And guess how many for Taft? No. 127,325. No, eight, duh. 
<laughs> you're mean. That same day. No, I love you. I really do. The Supreme Court, especially since you're willing to do Stop. me with a Phil Donahue mask. The Supreme Court of Canada by three two to the by a three to two decision upheld the Dominion's harsh sentencing law against homosexuality in the criminal code and directing that George Kip Clippert continue to serve an inter indeterminate sentence up to life imprisonment. Oh my god. Clippert had been convicted of four charges of gross indecency for having consensual sex with other men. And the prosecutor the prosecutor pursued a classification under another code as a dangerous sexual offender. Oh, so these guy. people prosecuting gay people yeah. back then, right? Is there is their entire thing is just that they're they're afraid they're gay, right? Isn't that what homophobia is? You're afraid no, of your you're gay. You're afraid thing? of what you don't understand and what you don't know. I always thought I was like you're I think deep some down, of you're it gay. is. Like you're gay and you're so scared to admit that you're gay, you want to kill all gay people. I think I think them. the people that really, really hate, hate, hate. Yeah. That want a gay bash. That's the problem. Yeah, you want. But I think there's also a bunch of people that just don't understand it because, and it makes them scared because they don't. They've never met anybody that that they know of. But they're not necessarily gay, right? But they're like hate, hate, like the gay bashers. The ones that are like want to suck a dick so bad. Yeah, they and they're ashamed of it, so they want to hit other people. Something like that. That's the thing that I that fascinates me. I don't know. I've talked to a, a gay guy who, before he came out, he wanted to go gay bashing. Like, he mm-hmm. wanted to. Mm-hmm. I, I knew. Because he's yeah. ashamed. You know, like, which is so sad. Yeah, it is. It's just a sad thing. Can you imagine if there was any other... Like, what if... I had a friend who, before he came out, he went through a phase where he was really gay bashy. Yeah. And we were all like, God, stop. Why are you saying that? Imagine... Try to imagine a world where you had to be, you know, it, it was frowned upon to like peanut butter. Mm-hmm. And then you wanted to, like, those people that liked peanut butter were so ashamed. God, why do I like this peanut butter? Mm-hmm. Why do I eat this peanut butter at night? Yeah. I sneak jars of peanut butter. We shouldn't even have jars of peanut butter. And then during the day, they'd be like, I want to kill anyone who likes peanut butter. Yeah. That's what it is. I don't get it. Thursday, November 9th, 1967, the first issue of Rolling Stone magazine, dated November 9th, 1967, made its debut as a as a newspaper printed and distributed in and around what city? Uh, Rolling Stone. Yep. Detroit. Detroit. I don't know. San Francisco. Oh. Rolling Stone, the first issue sold about 5,000 copies. And it cost 25 cents. Uh, The decision to put John Lennon on the cover for his role (laughs) in How I Won the War was hastily made just two days before going to press, but in retrospect, it it was prophetic. Retrospect? Retrospect. And then Friday, November 10th, 1967, Jennifer Jones, 48 years old, upset. What happened? Do you know who Jennifer Jones is an actress? Jen- Jenny Jones? Jennifer Jones? For- Jennifer she was 48 Jones. and 67. 
Yeah, I think I I think I know which one she is. She was upset by her friend Charles Bickford's death. She tried suicide by barbiturate ingestion in Malibu. The evening before, she had called her private doctor, William Molly, confessing her intentions, and then police, alerted by Molly, find Mrs. Jones on the beach, unconscious, and about to be submerged by the rising tide. A timely gastric washout saves the actress's life. Hmm. That's interesting. And then Sunday, November 12th, 1967, American Airlines Flight 455 from Chicago to San Diego was damaged by a crudely made bomb that exploded in the baggage compartment while the Boeing 727 was over Alamosa, Colorado. The jet, which had 81 passengers and crew on board, was able to land safely despite the explosion because most of the blasting caps rigged to a time bomb had failed to detonate. Oh, my God. The FBI was able to trace the crime to Earl T. Cook, the manager of a bottling plant in Naperville, Illinois, whose wife had been one of the passengers among 78 intended victims. Cook would be sentenced to 20 years in federal prison. FBI investigators concluded that the bomb had malfunctioned because of the cavalier handling of Mrs. Cook's suitcase by one of the airline baggage's handlers unwittingly saved anyone lives because it was a rough handling of the bomb bag at O'Hare Airport. Oh, man. Thank goodness for the <laughs> shoddy work of yeah. the airport baggage handlers. That's right. You know, I once worked in an airport loading bellies of airplanes, and based on my activity, I would have saved a lot of lives. One night, we punched every box that we loaded. We punched oh, every box. God. Let's see if we can punch every box. You guys are idiots. It was fun. And there were you know what? There were no consequences. Yeah, I know. Zero you could one night you could just decide to punch every box as hard as you could, and there would be zero consequences. Nobody could ever trace it back to you. Uh, Monday, November thirteenth, nineteen sixty seven, Jerry Harkness, a player for the Indiana Pacers of the new ABA, set a record by scoring a basket from ninety two feet away. Wow, that's kind of far. Yeah. That's like full court. That's pretty good. Opposite end of the court. Can it's you like believe that? It's like a hole in one. Do you ever tell you about the time I scored a half court shot in a uh, charity basketball game in high school? You did? I did. That's pretty good. I did tell you? No. Everybody's making don't. fun of me because I couldn't play basketball. And you got a half court shot? And I, I scored it over a f- the football coach. He was, like, guarding me, like, messing with me because like, he knew I was silly. In front of the whole school? In front of the whole school. It was like... It was like, it was like ch- your star... This is, why your, this is why your brother Andy hates you. Why? This is just another one of those... <laughs> My brother Andy hates me! Joe's a star moments of high school where everybody's watching you. That wasn't a star. It was... People were laughing because I was such an idiot. Because then everybody knew I didn't play basketball. I couldn't dribble. I couldn't yeah. shoot. And every time I passed the ball, nobody would give it back to me because mm-hmm. they knew I sucked. I, I was only on the team because I was funny. And mm-hmm. They knew I'd do something silly. Mm-hmm. So I was being silly. And the coach was like guarding me real close. And I couldn't even get halfway down the court. I couldn't even move because I didn't know how to dribble. Yeah. So I knew I couldn't dribble. And I knew if I passed the ball, I'd never get it back. Mm-hmm. So I had the ball. I was like, you know what? I'm going to fucking shoot from here. And I was half court, like like mid court. I know. Where you don't even ever shoot from. And I just threw it up because I knew I'll never get the ball the rest of the game. And it 
sank it right in the fucking net. Jesus. And everybody started laughing and falling down and, yes. la- and laughing at me. Still, like my greatest moment, nobody could just say, oh my God, that was amazing. You're awesome. It was a ha, look at the idiot looked into that. Well, a part of it's probably your reaction to what happened, too. Oh, I was talking shit and dancing. Right. And, like, riding the pony and, like... Let's move on. That same day, Jimmy Kimmel was born mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. And then we're going to jump all the way to November 16th, which was a Thursday in Joy Hinkie's birthday. She was born in 1967? No. no. Wait, she has the same birthday as Lisa Bonet? I guess. You know who Lisa Bonet is? Mm-hmm. She was also known as Denise Huxtable. Mm-hmm. Did you ever watch A Different World? Uh, yeah, like a little bit. Lisa Bonet, and I'm going to put this on the record. I don't care what this does to our relationship. Mm-hmm. Lisa Bonet is still very attractive. Oh, I know. She's beautiful. She's like 71 years old. And well, she's... 67, she was born. Just do the math. To the da, de, de, de. She is not 71. 67 subtracted from 2020 is 67. 78. 20 years. 67 what? to 2000 is what? It's only five years younger than me. She's 53. Which is a lot different than 77 or whatever it was. 53 and 77 is the same thing. No. Many people agree. She looks great. So. All right. Why are we talking about this? Lisa Bonet. And then I'm going to jump a couple days to Saturday, November 10th. T- 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 <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Saturday, November 10th. November, November 10th. We should add an extra day to the 10th. November 18th, 1967. The Viet Cong announced its willingness to honor a seven-day ceasefire during the Tet holiday. Okay. Celebrated as the start of the Lunar New Year in, bo- in both North Vietnam and South Vietnam for a period running from January 27th through February 2nd, 1968. Okay. The invitation and its acceptance by the U.S. and South Vietnam would be a prelude to the Tet Offensive. Three days into the 1968 ceasefire, the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese Army would stage a massive surprise attack against U.S. and South Vietnamese forces and their allies. Oh, yeah. That seems shady to be like, hey, okay, we're all going to cease fire, and then you attack during it. Mm-hmm. However, on the other flip side of it, it's fucking war. Well, why are there rules? I never understood why there are rules. You have to have rules of war. I know, but isn't it? I would say, isn't it? Whoever you think all's fair? No, no, I don't. I don't think that should be. But isn't it in history the ones because who just, once the war is over, if the if you have committed war crimes, then you can be per- prosecuted for it. If there's not, if there's rules of war, sure, but. Don't you think you have like, to have like the Revolutionary War? Like George Washington like broke all kinds of norms and war to win the Revolutionary War and why we have America. Right. Because he wasn't playing by, like he was like sneaking up on people at night and stuff and right. attacking people when they were sleeping. Mm-hmm. And we won. Right. Isn't it kind of like, well, you know, like people are standing with muskets. Like 
I don't know what your point is. Can we move on? Why are there drummers in the Revolutionary War? Why, why is that guy drumming? Put a, a gun in that guy's hand and you win. There's a whole band they have going around with them. They got the fife and the... I know. I've always wondered, like... Why? Why doesn't one side just put a gun in those guys' hands and you got extra people shooting rather than somebody playing a goddamn well, song? And they, it's kind of announcing you're coming. You can I've sneak always up wondered on that, anybody. too. Like, what? Oh, well, here they come. They're playing their goddamn music. Let's just shoot them. Hey, instead of playing music, let's replace that 40-piece band that they have. And let's have 40 more soldiers with guns shooting the I band know. members. I know. it. I've never understood that. I haven't either. War is nuts. Yep, it is. Humanity is insane. And then on November 22nd, which was a Wednesday of 67, Mark Ruffalo was born, American film actor and savior and social activist. And he was born in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Stop. You hate Mark Ruffalo. And then I'm going to skip the 23rd, 24th, and 25th of 1967, except for the 25th. We got a new number one song on the Billboard charts. Mm-hmm. Strawberry Alarm Clock, Incense and Peppermints. Oh, I like that one. How does it go? Incense, peppermints. Oh, I never knew what they were saying. Strawberry Alarm Clock. Hmm. Okay. And you're going to like this birthday. I have a birthday that you'll like. Okay. November 28, 1967 was a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Anna Nicole Smith, American model, actress, and television personality. What? Why? Anna, 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 Anna Nicole. Remember you love that show? She's so outrageous. What was her name? Her real name, you know? I don't know. Vicki Lynn Hogan. Oh, I have heard that before. You know what year she died, remember? Mm-mm. 2007. You loved Anna Nicole. I just loved that show. You did love that show. I know. You're a weird person. <laughs> I know. It's the gay man in me. You you do have a gay man in you. Saturday, December 2nd, 1967, the monkeys take over the number one spot with Daydream Believer. Daydream Believer and a homecoming queen. And while Daydream Believer's on the radio, Perry Wallace became the first African-American athlete to compete in basketball for a college in the all-white Southeastern Conference, the SEC, as the Vanderbilt University Commodores basketball team opened its season with an 88-84 overtime win against SMU, Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Mm. Wallace had eight points and ten rebounds in his opening game. I really would think he would have had 50 points Malaysia became the first nation to introduce a... Oh, also that same day. This is very important. You're going to love this. Okay. Malaysia became the first nation to introduce a trapezoidal postage stamp. (laughs) Why am I going to love that? The stamp was issued to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the first stamps issued for the Strait Settlements in 1867. Trapezoidal postage stamps, y'all... Everybody loves trapezoids. Thursday, December 7th, 1967. Three days before his accidental death, Mm -hmm. Otis Redding recorded the song that would become the number one best-selling song in the U.S. Sitting Mm -hmm. on the dock of the bay. That's a great one. That same day, the Apple Boutique, one of the first attempts by the Beatles to open a retail business, opened at 94 Baker Street in London, to sell specially designed clothing and accessories. 
Oh, that's funny. I didn't know they did that. They did it several times. Because of shoplifting and poor management, the store would close on July 30th, 1968, after less than eight months of operation. Saturday, December 9th, 1967, hundreds of children and their parents in Evansville, Indiana, were witness to a tragic end to the arrival of the shopping center Santa Claus and a huge 300 helicopter. Santa was set to land at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in the parking lot of the North Park Shopping Center in Evansville. Mm-hmm. And as many as 2,000 children had come to watch the event. The copter clipped three electrical power lines as it prepared to land, Oops. then crashed on pavement oh my that God. had been cordoned off for landing, killing pilot William B. Dorr oh and God. William Bretz, a 59-year-old tool and die maker at the city's Whirlpool Corporation factory. The one dressed like Santa? Yeah. Okay. December I'm 10th, 1967, R&B singer Otis Redding was killed. At the age of 26, oh, along, yeah. along with four other members of the Bar Kays and a pilot when the plane he was on plunged into Lake Monona in Wisconsin at 325 in the afternoon. That rings a bell. The twin-engine Beechcraft had been en route from Cleveland to a performance in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, where Melissa Thompson went to school and may or may not have dated someone Stop when it. it was lost in a fog. A seventh person on the plane, Ben Colley, was able to swim to the lakeshore. Oh, my God. Can you imagine that? Isn't that crazy? Can you imagine surviving imagine a plane a crash plane and A plane crash and swimming, swimming to, shore? to shore? The other persons on the plane, Redding, Ron Caldwell, Phelan Jones, Carl Cunningham, Matthew Kelly, and pilot Richard Fraser all drowned. Oh. Ironic- ironically... Newspapers had reported that morning that the British music publication Melody Maker had listed Redding as the world's number one vocalist, displacing Elvis Presley after 10 years. Oh, my goodness. Uh, let's see. They had appeared in an upbeat television show in Cleveland. Uh, I about that. Although the weather was poor, with heavy rain and fog, and despite warnings, the plane took off. Four miles from their destination at Truax Field in Madison, the pilot radioed for permission to land. Shortly thereafter, the plane crashed. Mm. The one survivor said he was sleeping shortly before the accident. He woke up just before impact to see bandmate Phelan Jones look out a window and exclaim, Oh, no! Collie said the last thing he remembered before the crash was unbuckling his seatbelt. He then found himself in frigid water, grasping a seat cushion to keep afloat. As a non-swimmer, he was unable to rescue the others. The cause of the crash was never determined. Oh, it wasn't? Um, yeah, so the guy, the one guy who survived couldn't swim. Oh, man. Isn't that nuts? So yeah, he couldn't save crazy. the other people. That's insane. Um, Redding's body was discovered the next day. Was recovered the next day when the lake was searched. The family postponed the funeral from December fifteenth to the eighteenth, so more could attend. The service took place at the city auditorium in Macon. More than four thousand five hundred people came to the funeral, overflowing the three thousand seat hall. And then we'll move on to Tuesday, December twelfth, nineteen sixty-seven, in Mumford. Te- Have you ever heard of Mumford, Texas? No. Well, that's where. NFL defensive tackle John Randall was born that day. Oh you know John God. Randall? Remember John Randall? He's one of my favorite oh players of all time. God. I kept it in there because he's great. But that same day, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner was released. Oh, that's a good one. Starring Sidney Poitier. Yep. And Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. Yep. And Spencer Tracy drank in a bathtub. 
And he and Catherine Hepburn were lovers. They were during this? In real life, yeah. Uh, like lifelong lovers. Really? Like they, it was like a tragic thing. I don't know. You and I are lifelong lovers. That's true. And I guess it is a tragic thing too, huh? Hey, burn! Stanley Kramer was a producer. This was nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. It's about a couple's attitudes being changed when their daughter introduces them to her African-American fiance. Mm-hmm. Written by William Rose. Uh, in the scene near the end where Spencer Tracy gives his memorable soliloquy, mm-hmm. Catherine Hepburn can be seen crying in the background. This was not acting. She knew how gravely ill her longtime lover was and was moved by his remarks about how true love endures through the years. Aww. So I have to watch that and see that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. He, Spencer Tracy died 17, 17 days after filming was completed. Oh, my God. That's cutting it close. It is cutting I it close. I didn't realize that. Uh, when the movie was conceived and launched by producer and director Stanley Kramer, one of Hollywood's greatest liberal filmmakers, intermarriage between African-Americans and Caucasians was still illegal in 14 states. Oh, that's terrible. Towards the end of the production, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down its decision in Loving versus Virginia. The Loving decision was made on June 12, 1967, two days after the death of Spencer Tracy, who played a phony white liberal who grudgingly accepts his daughter's marriage to a black man. Yep. Uh... Okay. Anyway, Wednesday, December 13th, 1967, Jamie Foxx was born in uh, Terrell, Texas. Stop it. But he wasn't Jamie Foxx. He was born Eric Marlon Bishop. So that's why we had to talk about that. He's He might be related to Steve Bishop, friend of the show. Stop. And that brings us to yes. Friday, December 15th, 1967. And I understand Finally. that you have something... In America, in West Virginia, like yes. a, it's and it's not rape heavy, right? No, no rapes, no rapes are involved. Rape free, rape free. Sound the rape free alarm. Rape free, rape free. All right, I am going to talk about the Mothman. The Mothman. The Mothman. Now, is this from Godzilla? No, this is um from Point Pleasant, well, West Virginia. Point Pleasant. West Virginia. Mm-hmm. The Mothman Chronicles. Is that what this is? Is Mothman that a thing? Prophecy. Is that a movie? Prophecy? Just the Mothman. So Okay, tell me all about this. I okay. don't I really don't know much about this. You don't? This. No. Okay, so on December fifteenth, nineteen sixty seven. Oh. We we this, are, you already said something. I already said that, but no, I didn't say anything about that. Oh day. God, I thought it was my turn. It is your turn because I don't that's all I have. Thank God. All right. Um there was a horrible tragedy that happened. In Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Yeah. So, um, situ- Point Pleasant is situated on the Ohio River. It connects Galapagos, Ohio, uh, Galapagos to, to Point Pleasant via the Sterling Bridge. Okay, I'm picturing Gal- Gallipolis. The- Gallipolis. I don't care how you say it, but I remember there's a bridge. We go back and forth from North Charlotte, North Carolina to Northwest Ohio a lot. Yeah. There's a bridge. Like the Ohio West Virginia border is on a bridge. Okay, so, so it might it was, be it might be similar. It's not the same bridge. See, yeah. Uh, so around five o'clock p.m. during rush hour. Oh boy, that's a busy time. The bridge suddenly and unexpectedly collapsed. Oh no! Forty-six people died. Oh shit! That were on the bridge, like a yes. cars crashing. And, and the official cause of the collapse was due to a defect in a single link 
which led the stress corrosion, cracking, and eventual collapse. Oh, no. That's terrible. One tiny link. And it... Well, my, my question is, what the hell does this have to do with the Mothman? So, shortly before this tragedy happened... Yeah? There were several unexplained and paranormal phenomena that were happening... Phenomena. In, in Point Pleasant and surrounding areas. So... Before this happened. Before, up there to this. There was already yes. weird stuff, and then yes. this happened. Yes. Okay. So we're going to go back. On November okay, 12th, 1966. Things. November 12th, 1966. Oh, the same day that the press coverage, inspired by the press coverage of other mass slayers and saying that his motive was to become well-known, an 18-year-old high school student walked into the Rosemar Beauty College in Mesa, Arizona, and murdered four women and a three-year-old girl that same day? Yes. Oh, that's a murder. (laughs) I had the murder. Boom. I know. You're bringing it. I'm the murder man. So I love murder. Five men were working as grave diggers in a cemetery near Clendenin, West Virginia. Okay. And Clendenin lies about 79 miles away from Point Pleasant. Point Pleasant where the bridge collapsed. Right. Gotcha. Okay. 79 miles. These men reported that they saw a brown human-like figure take off and fly above their heads. What? And they claimed it was not a bird, but appeared human-like with wings. What? Mm-hmm. Then, on November 15th, 1966... The same day that Harry Maurice Roberts, the last member of a trio that had murdered three London policemen, was caught hiding on a farm near the town of Bishop Stortford in Hertfordshire? Wow. That same day? Yeah, that Another day. Another murder. Another murder. Um, Linda and Roger Scarberry, along with Steve and Mary Millette, were out cruising. Those sound like fake names, Linda and Roger. Uh, Around 11.30 p.m., they went to a remote hangout area. Ooh, to make out? Yep. It was known as the TNT area. Oh, for tits and No, the TNT area housed ammunition and and explosives during World War II. Oh, I thought you were saying like people That's go why to it make was out. Called that. Not for tits and tail. No. Which that would not be a bad strip club name. Tits and tail. TNT, tits yeah. and tail. I just came up with that. That it's Top brilliant. Of my head. It's brilliant. Let's stop podcasting and work and on our plan, our business plan. That's right. Several large concrete igloos stored the munitions, and that was why it was called the TNT area. Oh, concrete igloos, huh? Yes. Okay, so they go there and people go there and make out? I guess they do, yeah. Sweet. So when the couples arrived to the area, they witnessed a large man-shaped object by the old abandoned powerhouse also that was also housed in the TNT area. What's an old aban- a powerhouse? Like a, like a generator place Probably. to give power or something? They reported seeing two very bright red eyes on the figure and wings what? behind its back. What the hell? They estimated him to be between six and seven feet tall. Whoa, a seven foot tall red-eyed mothman. Yes. Wow. So they got real freaked out and they left the area. They went down Route 62 toward Point Pleasant. And as they sped away, they then saw the huge creature perched on top of a billboard in front of them. Oh, but, you know, if I was a big giant mothman, I would totally perch on billboards, especially and if it, it has it lights would, on it. it then Moths it unfurled its wings and it took off straight up and then chased their car. What? It went after them? Yes. Now, let's time out for a second. Do you, do you believe this is real? I don't know. And if you believe, do you think it's an alien? Or do you think it's just some kind of mutated? Well, let's talk about that at the end. All right. So the witnesses claim at one point they were traveling in, uh, over 100 miles an hour, and the figure was able to keep up with them no problem. 
Uh, how would a Mothman fly at 100 miles an hour? The, the figure proceeded to glide back and forth over their car and even heard the wings hitting the roof. Uh... So Mary Millette claimed that the creature emitted a high-pitched noise that she sound, said sounded like a big mouse. Oh, my gosh. As the car approached the outskirts of Point Pleasant, the creature veered off into a field. All four very obviously petrified witnesses reported the encounter to the sheriff's office. Wow. Do you think that—is this, from what they're describing, is this about the size of a, a pterodactyl, you think, or is a pterodactyl smaller or bigger? I have no idea. No clue how, how big those are supposed to be. Because I think I saw a pterodactyl once, and I'll get into that. Oh, I want to hear that because that's on my, I have a, a podcast that I listen to called Monsters Among Us. And, yeah. And it's people that call in with weird, freaky shit that happened to them. Yeah. And there's a several people. That, that have seen a pterodactyl? Yes, that have said they see a pterodactyl. I've, I saw a pterodactyl one time. I couldn't believe it. When? You have to tell the story now. Right now? Yeah. We'll take a break? In the middle of your... Well, I was on... I, I remember it clear as day. I was on 75 in Ohio. I was going southbound from Toledo to probably Bowling Green. Yep. I don't remember what the circumstances were or, like I said, I don't know if I was all hopped up on anything. Well, probably had highway hypnosis. No, I wasn't on there very long because I was oh. leaving... Like I was, it was in the Perrysburg area. So yeah. So it was like just between my mom's and whatever. And it... It was dark, and I feel like it was kind of rainy, but something flew over the over the, the the highway right over me, and it was way too big to be a bird or anything. It was a fucking pterodactyl, like a giant wings, and was they were flapping. Really? And I was like, "Holy shit! I just saw a fucking pterodactyl!" And there was nobody with me. But there was and no other cars. It was before. So there were other cars, but. Everybody just kept going, but it just like flew over the high. I was like, holy shit, that's a, there's nothing else that big. That's a pterodactyl. Oh my God. And then what do you do? It's not like I can get off the highway and go look for, you know, like. I don't, you never told me about driving. that. Yeah, I saw a goddamn pterodactyl. I was probably, I think I knew, I think I was dating you. I think. You never told me that I don't, story. Maybe I wasn't. I don't know when that was. It was sometime between. When I got my driver's license and now. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is a blur. Everything else is a blur. But, you know, I that's started like to And then like I was like, well, what do I do now? I was like, ah, oh, well, I forgot. And in fact, I forgot. I probably didn't tell people till later. I was like, oh, yeah, by the way, I saw a pterodactyl earlier. Oh, yeah, right, idiot. That's what people say to me no matter but what But that's I see. a good tie-in to this story because that's kind of the same similar thing these people were seeing. Well, now I'm thinking maybe it was a goddamn Mothman. Maybe. Because it was about that. It was huge. It was like... It would be like a seven foot tall man size. Yeah, probably, big. and that's what I was. That's what I was thinking. Like, is a pterodactyl bigger or smaller? What color was it? It was dark, so I couldn't tell. It just it looked like it was black or something, but you couldn't oh tell because it was dark out. And what did you see of it? I just saw it flap. I saw it flapping its wings, like it could have been a bat, but like a giant bat, like a like the size of a small aircraft. Oh my god. Yeah, it was a goddamn pterodactyl. That's crazy. So, so it might have been a Mothman. Could have been. But that was in Northwest Ohio. Yeah, maybe. So um, the sheriff and the deputies responded to the TNT area to investigate what happened. Tits and tail. And when they arrived, yep. they didn't witness the Mothman, but one of the deputies reported he saw shadows circling the area yeah. and unexplainable static interference on their police radios. Ooh. Everybody knows that static on police radios equals 
moth, moth people. people. The deputies and sheriff also witnessed a cloud of dust get kicked up from a nearby coal yard. Kicking up dust. That same evening, a man living 90 miles away yeah. was um, kind of woke up to hearing this strange sound yeah. outside. So he went out to his yard and he saw two glowing eyes that belonged to no animal that he was familiar Were with. Were they red? Yeah. Oh. His hunting dog took off after the creature and the terrified man ran, ran back inside and that his dog was never seen again. No, he just left his dog to yeah. die? What a jerk. The next day, the sheriff's office held a press conference about the sighting. The news wires picked up the story and they they started calling it Mothman. Oh, my God. So that Mothman ate that dog. Yep. It eats dogs. It's a dog-eating Mothman. I guess. And so, and that was, in part, there was um, the Batman's TV series had just oh, come out. Oh, yeah. So that was part of the reason that they called him Mothman. The next day- Wait, wait, wait. Because there was, a, was there a Mothman on Batman or just because it's just similar cause to Batman? Just because it's similar to Batman. Okay. It's just like popular. Okay. The next day, the couples returned to the TNT area during the daylight and found odd-shaped footprints, which resembled two horseshoes put together. Ooh. Linda okay. Scarberry had been quoted as saying, I wish we had never seen it. I wish someone else had seen it. Yeah, so, I probably messed up her whole life. After that first sighting, more folks began to come forward. Don't you wonder, hold on, don't you, uh, Linda Scarborough is her name? Scarberry. Scarberry. Don't you kind of wonder like. What she's doing now? Yeah, like I want to Google yeah. her and see like, did she live a whole life? Did she become a grandmother? Or was she just like haunted by this the rest of her life? And just, Would she talk about it? Or did she stop talking about her? She, oh, she didn't know. Oh, Linda Scarberry won't talk about it anymore. She doesn't talk to many folks wouldn't these it be, days. Wouldn't it be cool to get an interview with somebody like that? Well, this is 1967, so how many years ago Yeah, she'd that? be. Pretty old grandma, if she's alive. Yeah, don't make me do math right now. Well, in 2017, it's 50 years later. She was probably 16 or something. 66, 60. She might be close to my mom's age. Oh, Linda Scar, what? Scarberry. We should Google her later and see if Stalk, we can get her on cyber the show. stalker. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Okay. Um. So after that sighting, more folks start coming forward with these stories oh, that's about Mothman. And, um, but the Mothman wasn't the only strange thing that was happening, though. Okay. In the area. Other strange things were happening. UFO sightings began. So, a mo- that's what I was going to say. A Mothman could definitely be an alien. Yeah. And, and several instances of run-ins with men in black suits began, which we know as the men in black. Yeah. Or, you know... What if, you know, could also be a human that they're doing, aliens are doing tests on. Like, what if they abducted a dude mm-hmm. and they, like... But they're, men in black are, like, they're not supposed to, they're, they're not supposed to look convincingly human. There's something off about them. Like, it looks like they're wearing red lipstick. And, like, men in black is? their mouth, so that their mo- mouths won't match the, when they're talking. Their so mouth the movie won't men, match. movie Men in Black is not Is not accurate. what they it's say. It's like a joke. Right, Yeah. Is there any movies where men, the like what MUFON says is the men in black yeah. show up Yeah, I don't in? think so, but I don't know. But you've heard of that. They're like, their mouth yes. doesn't match their... No, what I'm saying is maybe the Mothman is like a human that they, aliens have come and like oh. taken and like injected with this and let's see, let's experiment with maybe. them. Maybe. I think the whole human race is aliens like and they've just like made us and then we're, we're just their inventions. They're... Maybe. So um, the next day, the sheriff's office holds a press conference. All right. Oh, I already said that. Hold on. I, I lost my place. I'm sorry. Oh, here I am. I'm right. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It's okay. so silly. 
So Mary Heyer was a reporter for the Athens Messenger, who okay. had an she had an office in downtown Point Pleasant. Seems like a reputable. She reported on the strange company. Mothman and UFO sightings regularly. All right. She was working late one night in January 1967 when a man dressed in a black suit, short, and with thick glasses covering his strange eyes came into her office. Apparently, the man asked Mary directions on how to get to Welsh. As Mary gave him directions, he would come closer and closer, invading her personal space. Now, before we get too off on this, we need to let current listeners who are younger know... In this day and age, it was normal to ask for directions. Yes, so that's true. just asking directions doesn't make this person suspicious. What makes this person suspicious is their goofy eyes and their close talking. Yes, the the man then questioned Mary about the articles she had written and wanted to know why she felt the need to publish such things. Uh oh. So obviously, this encounter was unnerving to Mary, who then called another employee into her office with her and the man in black. At one point, Mary took a phone call and noticed that the man in black had picked up a ballpoint pen and seemed fascinated by it. Apparently, the man laughed and, still clutching the pen, ran out of the office. <laughs> yeah. When the hell? So a few weeks later, Mary was walking outside of her office when she observed the same man who was in her office. When the man realized Mary was watching him, he ran to a large black car and then sped away. Wow. The Man in Black sightings were not strictly localized to Mary, though. Several people in and around the area reported seeing similarly dressed men. Sometimes strange men would show up to the houses of witnesses and claim they were employees or of gas or water companies and would need to take a reading from the meter. Yeah. And they typically would get to the basement, and after being gone for a huge amount of time, the homeowner would go check and they would be gone. There wouldn't be anybody there. What? The men in black were reportedly usually seen in groups of two or three. They sometimes spoke in odd ways, such as very slowed down or sing-song-like. Wouldn't oh that be creepy? Gosh, so creepy. Some, there, I gotta yeah. see more about. I wanna. I wanna know more about the Men in Black. Yeah. Some witnesses report they didn't blink, and their skin appeared olive or translucent. Ugh. Some witnesses reported the Men in Black ate at a local diner and didn't know how to use utensils. Huh. A waitress had to come and show them how to the man how to use a knife. What? But the story of the men in black and Mary Heyer does not end there. Connie Carpenter, the niece of Mary, also had a Mothman and a man in black experience. Oh, my god! On November 27th, 1966. Oh, the same day that a short-lived sitcom about a young man from Ohio who inherits a New York City brownstone apartment building from his uncle and shares his apartment with an up-and-coming stand-up comedian was on? Yes. Wait. I forgot to write the name on a sitcom. Oh, you can't do that one then. Hold on. God damn it. That's the only thing I have. Oh, oh wait. How about I'll just say, starring Will Hutchins and Sandy Barron, also the same day that reclusive billionaire Howard Hughes moved from Boston to Las Vegas, where he leased the top two floors of the Desert Inn, never venturing downstairs. And wearing Kleenex boxes on his feet and peeing in jars. Hughes would buy the hotel in 1967 and live there for several years before moving onward. The same day that William J. Barnes shot a rookie Philadelphia policeman, Walter Barkley Jr., during a burglary, leaving Barkley partially paralyzed almost 41 years later after Barkley's death from a urinary tract infection on August 19, 2007, Barnes would be indicted for murdering a police officer that same day? Yes. More um, murder. At uh, 10.30 a.m. on a Sunday, Connie was driving... Um, home from church when she witnessed what she originally thought was a man dressed in gray standing by the Mason County golf course on Route 62. Man, now he's gray. 
Connie says the man unfurled 10-foot wings and immediately flew directly at her car. As the Mothman flew toward her, Connie said she locked eyes with the creature's piercing red eyes. Right before Mothman hit her windshield, it suddenly veered away. Connie, frightened beyond belief, immediately drove home. Oh, my gosh. Now that... Now, but it was wearing clothes. That, it, was, it was far away when she first saw it. So she maybe couldn't tell whether it was wearing clothes or it was just gray fur or gray colored. Okay. So, um, so her boyfriend said when she got home, she was hysterical and kept repeating those eyes. Later, Connie suffered from what is known as Klieg conjunctivitis. And this Wait, is like, what was the first word? What? Suffer from what conjunctivitis? Klieg conjunctivitis. Klieg. K-L-I-E-G. What does it matter? I don't know. This is a condition when the eyes become inflamed and swollen due to long exposure to ultraviolet rays. Really? Mm-hmm. What? Connie is one of the few who have claimed to get a look at the Mothman's face. She says it was horrible, like something out of a science fiction movie. But Connie's brush with the unknown uh, affecting the area doesn't end there. After her encounter with the Mothman... Connie reported a rather terrifying experience with a man in black. She was on her way home. She was on her way to school and was approached by a gentleman in a black vehicle. He waved her over and she thought the man may have lost, may have been lost and was seeking directions. Apparently he attempted to pull Connie into the vehicle and even ripped her blouse in the process. Several hours later, a note shoved under the door of her home said, be careful girl. I can get you yet. Oh my gosh. So there are, so there are people that believe that the Mothman had no ill intention, yeah, but was sent as a warning of the impending bridge collapse. That the, <sighs> it was like a, a harbinger of doom. So it wasn't like a warning, like stay home, so you're saved. I don't know, but like some residents believe this silver bridge collapse was due to a curse placed on the town by a Native American known as Cornstalk. That has nothing to do with the Mothman, right? Well, as the American colonies began to expand and claim land, there was a bunch of um, fights with settlers and Native Americans around in this area. And um, where the Ohio River, where Point Pleasant is, several tribes of Shawnee Indians lived there. And then in 1774, the the Shawnee and Mango tribes that lived there began making battle plans to attack the new settlers over the land in what is now known as the Battle of Point Pleasant. Oh. And then during that attack, the tribes were um, were defeated very easily by the infantry because they had weapons, you know. Right, but it still has nothing stuff. to do with the Mothman, right? Then during a second, later attack, the military units were able to convince Cornstalk to a truce to avoid more bloodshed. Yeah. In 1777, Cornstalk told the settlers that the British were attempting to get other native tribes to attack the colonists. Yeah. The tribes then began taking positions on the Ohio River to attack. Okay. And Cornstalk didn't want to have any part in the attack and went to the fort to alert the cavalry. Okay. He told them that he didn't want war, but he would make no attempt to stop his men if they chose to partake in the attack. All right. Seeing an opportunity, they held Cornstalk as a prisoner to use as a bargaining chip. Uh-oh. So the plan worked and the battle was averted. As Cornstalk was being held in the fort, his son arrived to visit. Meanwhile, two members of the fort were out hunting and ambushed and killed by a native tribe. The The people that were holding Cornstalk were enraged by that, so they killed right. him and his son. Oh, no. And legend says as he lay dying, he placed a curse upon the land. 
Oh, so we don't know if it's the collapse of the Silver Bridge due to the Cornstalk curse or the Mothman. Did the Mothman ultimately have something to do with it, or was this unexplained phenomenon like a warning? Or no, or was nothing related at all? And th- right, and there's um, according to reports, Mothman sightings precede several catastrophic events outside of Point Pleasant. I'm just going to go over really fast. There's okay. a few of them. Before you do that. That show was called Hey Landlord. Oh my God. Was that TV show starring Woody Banner and Chuck Hock- Hookstratton? Okay. On September 10th, 1978. Oh, the same day that Timbuktu closes at Mark Hellinger Theater, in New York City, after 243 performances, and our line. Rhodes sets the female football distance record. Yes. And the fourth game of the Boston Massacre where the Yanks beat the Red Sox 7-4. to four. Yes. A group of miners in Germany reported seeing a creature that fits the Mothman criteria. Okay. According to witnesses, the creature with piercing red eyes was at the entrance to the mine. Wow. And they were stunned at what they were witnessing. Then, And the creature let out a howl. And so then the men ran out of the mine in terror they were so scared are there animals that have red eyes i don't know i think if they if you have shine a certain way they look red maybe like a picture an an hour later the miners reported seeing a huge plume of dust feeling a rumble and then the mine collapsed oh my god the encounter is known as the freiburg shrieker which saved the lives many who were otherwise had been in the mine so it was like it saved their lives then in 2000... Because of the noise? No, they they ran out of the mine because they saw the Mothman. Oh, oh, oh I see. Then, oh, so the, maybe the Mothman, like you said before, is warning right. people or something. In 2011, Marcus Pools was in Japan when he witnessed a Mothman-like creature around the Fukushima power plant. Marcus Pools? P-U-L-E-S. Why are you so... Pules. Why are you being so picky about my pronunciations? Well, I'm, when you say a, a name or a word, I try to... Uh, picture what it's spelled. But what difference does it make? I don't know. I don't either. So Well, because sometimes, uh, then you might say it again, then but oh, I know a guy with that name. Maybe he's related. Then I could reach out. I'll slap you. you bring it! All right, so... Um, yeah? I guess I should start that again. So Do in it. 2011, Marcus Poles was in Japan. Poles. Stop. <laughs> when he witnessed a Mothman-like creature around the Fukushima power plant yeah. before the earthquake and then disaster. Huh. According to him, he... I think they're causing these disasters. So go ahead. According to him, he's... He saw the creature perched on top of one of the buildings. It unfurled its wings and circled the plant several times. Poles then claimed he noticed the creature had huge red glowing eyes. Wow. He reported feeling a sense of dread and immediately left the area. Oh, my gosh. I'm so freaked out. After September 11th, reports of... Wait, September 11th, 2001? Yeah. The the planes at the Trade Center towers that we're aware of and we lived through? Yes. Reports of witnesses seeing a Mothman-like creature began to spread. Some witnesses claimed to have seen a black-winged creature flying near the Twin Towers... What? Allegedly, during the second plane strike, witnesses claimed to have also seen the creature flying parallel to the plane before impact. Shut up. I've never heard of this. The men in black also reportedly showed up and told witnesses to stop talking about what they saw. We which to me is stupid. The man that doesn't in even black. make sense. No, it does. That the, makes sense completely with everything else. The Mothman sightings came during the Chernobyl power plant meltdown as well. Um, 
Before the disaster, those in the immediate area report seeing a large black bird-like creature with the body of a man flying around the area. You know what? That's what I saw. I might have been a pterodactyl, though. On April 26, 1986. Oh, the same day that the Firestone World Bowling Tournament of Champions was won by Marshall Holman? Yes. That same day? Yep. Man, I remember that day like it was yesterday. So they had seen, before the disaster... The people saw it. Yep. Then on that day... Well, there was also a rerun of Give Me a Break on that day. All right. On that day, that same creature flew around the smoke immediately after the disaster. Yeah. Is what they they witnessed. Those in the nearby town of Pripyat also reported seeing the same creature. These sightings are known as the Blackbird of Chernobyl. Huh. And that's the story of the huh. Mothman. I am very intrigued by this. I you really... like this one. I need to know more. Yeah. See, this, I wish we could just make this a podcast about weird stuff and no more murders. Well, sometimes it, they... I think it's the rape that ...bleed like. into each other. I mean, I know you're a big rape fan, but I'm not a big I fan of rape. I am not a rape fan. Well, I don't know. You got a lot of t-shirts and pennants that say rape. You're crazy. <laughs> well, that was good. Thanks. That was really good. That was my favorite thing you've ever done, and... I love you now more because you did it. And you like pickles now. And I officially like pickles. <laughs> what made you bring that up? I officially, uh, I'm a 43-year-old man who just discovered I, like, I don't like pickles. I used to hate pickles forever. Now you like them. I think I like pickles. <laughs> December 17th, 1967 was a Sunday. Yes. Did you ever hear about the Prime Minister of Australia, Harold Holt? No. Disappearing? No. At 12.30 p.m. while swimming in the ocean near Portsea, Victoria? I did not know that. Alan Stewart, the director of the Port Quarantine Station, and a friend of Holt said he was watching from a sandy cliff overlooking Cheviot Bay when Mr. Holt slipped further from the shore and finally disappeared. A search by 200 people failed to find the prime minister. Oh, man. In 1983, British journalist Anthony Gray would publish a book titled The Prime Minister Was a Spy, claiming that Holt had been a spy for the People's Republic of China using the codename H.K. Boers and had defected with the aid of the crew of a Chinese submarine on the day of his disappearance. Oh, man. That's a lot. Yeah. How crazy is that? And I have a whole bunch of stuff on that, but we don't need it. That's enough, right? That's good. I mean, that's a good story to, like, look up and, like, maybe do a whole... Mm -hmm. We should have done a whole episode on that. You should have covered it, but you didn't. No, I had more important things to cover. No, Mothman is very important. Mm -hmm. And then Monday, December 18th, 1967, a U.S. Air Force F-40 Phantom Jet crashed into a crowded supermarket in Tucson, Arizona. After the pilot and co-pilot safely ejected, the fighter had taken off from Davis Monthan Air Force Base on a training mission and then developed engine trouble. At 5.45 in the afternoon, the unmanned plane struck the food giant supermarket at the Cactus Shopping Center on South Alvernon Way on East 29th Street. The fuselage continued onward into a home behind the center. Oh, ouch. Despite the fire caused by 17,000 pounds of burning jet fuel, the burning down of the store and the destruction of two houses, only four people were killed. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Those persons taken to hospital suffered no major injuries. That's amazing. And most were treated and released. Isn't that crazy? Yes. At 5.45 p.m.? That's insane. 
And also that same day, in the case of Katz versus United States, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled 7-1 to one that electronic eavesdropping devices could not be placed on public telephones without a court warrant. I thought you were going to say they couldn't be placed on cats. Because you, cats. cats and because remember when you told me that they tried to put an eavesdropping device on a cat on a and cat. it got hit by a bus. Oh, it got, <laughs> got run over. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was a long time ago. Yeah, we it was. About that. Finding that episode would be hard. Yep. No, Charles Katz had been convicted in a federal court for violating interstate gambling laws after the FBI had introduced six tape recordings showing that Katz had placed bets and received wagering information while taking talking inside a telephone booth. Mm. It was like, ah, come on. A telephone booth should be fair game, bro. Yeah. They're like, you're right. It should be. Telephone booths were the go-to for criminals forever. Yeah. So they didn't use... So. They didn't use... They said you now can't do that anymore. So they can't listen in on public nope. phone booths nope. anymore. You should be able to use those for crime still. I wonder if that's still the case. Well, there's no more public payphones. When that's, you see one, yeah, that's like, true. shit, why is that payphone <laughs> I there? know, yeah. Oh, look at this payphone. What's that for? I bet... I bet uh, I bet a kid wouldn't be able to figure it yeah, out. Yeah, I was going to say Generation Z, the Zoomers. Yeah. They probably don't know what that device is. Yeah, they probably look at what it and like... I think Is that a time like machine? A, yeah. Is that a coffee maker? Is that a fax? Tuesday, December. They wouldn't know what a fax is. Come no, on now. I know. Tuesday, December seventeenth, December nineteenth, nineteen sixty-seven. Doctor Doolittle, which yeah. was nominated after the animal, which was nominated for Best Picture, was released. Okay. After the animal communicating veterinarian goes too far for his clientele, he and his friends escape their hometown to the sea in search for the great pink sea snail. Directed by Richard Fleischer. Mm-hmm. Starring Rex Harrison, Samantha Egger, and Anthony Newley. Did you ever see this? No. I've never been a big Dr. Doolittle fan. This movie's critic, massive critical and commercial failure effectively ended Sir Rex Harrison's career as a leading man on screen. Oh. He continued to act regularly on stage. The movie set was no picnic. One of the fawns ate a quart of paint during a scene break oh, and no. had to have her stomach pumped. Oh, my God. Gub-Gub the pig had to be replaced several times during filming because piglets grow very fast. Oh, no. Squirrels ate through several key pieces of scenery requiring thousands of dollars in repairs. Oh, my God. When what Sir a nightmare. Re- when Sir Rex Harrison sang in the field of sheep, he had to be sprayed down repeatedly for flies. The sheep urinated on him, forcing multiple retakes. Oh, my God. One of the goats broke loose during a scene and ate director Richard Fleischer's script. The first several weeks of filming in Castle Combe, uh, the first several weeks of filming in Castle Combe were disrupted by torrential downpours after the producers ignored detailed climate reports about the area's weather patterns. A disgruntled resident tried to blow up the set with a homemade bomb. Oh. That all according to... IMDb's trivia. Wow. Oh, you know what? I meant to say. um, No. I got a lot of my information. Oh, yeah. Here we go. I got pretty much all of it from this article by Aaron Posey on 1428elm.com. 1428elm.com. Yeah. Thank you. Shout out to 1428elm.com, y'all. Yep. Go and subscribe to that page and give them money or something. And then Thursday, December 21st, 1967, we're coming down to home stretch. Almost yes. done with 67. Yes, yes. A graduate was oh, released. Yeah. The movie was nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. A, delus- a delusion college graduate 
finds himself torn between his older lover and her daughter. Directed by Mike Nichols, starring Dustin Hoffman and Bancroft, Catherine Ross. Yep. During rehearsals of Dustin Hoffman and Anne Bancroft's first encounter in the hotel room, Bancroft did not know that Hoffman was going to grab her breast. Oh, man. Hoffman decided to do it because it reminded him of schoolboys trying to nonchalantly grab girls' breasts in the hall by pretending to put their jackets on. When Hoffman did it, director Mike Nichols began laughing loudly. Hoffman began to laugh as well, so rather than stop the scene, he turned away and walked to the wall. Hoffman banged his head on the wall trying to stop laughing, and Nichols thought it was so funny it stayed in the finished film. Oh, funny. Did you know that Robert Ref- Robert Redford mm-hmm. screen tested with Candace Bergen for the part of Benjamin Braddock? Oh, he, he did? But he was finally rejected by director Mike Nichols. Nichols did not believe Redford could persuasively project the underdog qualities necessary no, for the role. I wouldn't say. he's too good looking of a Oh, guy. he's so good looking. Good looking and beautiful oh, he's butt. so good looking. Great ass and nice right. Whoa. penis. Wait a minute. Great balls. Will you stop? <laughs> nice anus. All right, we uh, get the point. <laughs> when, <laughs> when he told this to Robert Redford, Redford asked Nichols what he meant. And he said, well, let's put it this way, said Nichols. Have you ever struck out with a girl? What do you mean, asked Redford. That's precisely my point, said Nichols. Redford told Nichols that he perfectly understood the character of Benjamin, who was a social misfit. He went on and on about his ability to play the part, but Nichols finally said to him, Bob, look in the mirror. Can you honestly imagine a guy like you having difficulty seducing a woman? (laughs) He's got point. Yep. That's a great Dustin ass. Hoffman was perfect for that. He part. was really homely looking, yeah, weird, and nerdy. And he kept saying, Hot water burn baby. Hot no, water burn that's, baby. You're getting your movies. And he was dressed like a woman part of the <laughs> thing, I think. <laughs> anyway, with box office receipts of just over $104 million, this was the highest grossing movie of 1967. Yes. And did you know a little, one more thing about this movie? The president of the University of Oregon. Missed out on having the graduate filmed at that school in 1967. So not wanting to make the same mistake again, he allowed another movie to be filmed there around a decade later. That movie was Animal House. Oh. And then Friday, December 22nd, 1967, 47 passengers, most of them students who were on their way home for Christmas, were killed near the city of Baguio, Baguio, Baguio in the Philippines when their bus went out of control and plummeted over a cliff. Another one? Another bus falling off a cliff. Sunday, December 24th, 1967. On Christmas Eve in Argentina, 16 people drowned and another 20 were injured near the city of Tafi del Valle after their bus overturned in the Tafi River. Wait, another one? Another one. And then Monday, December 25th, 1967 was Christmas and the new toys were Kerplunk, Johnny Astro, a talking G.I. Joe action figure, Mega Blocks, Newton's Cradle, Uncle Fester's Mystery Light Bulb, <laughs> Light Bright, and Ants in the Pants game. I love those games. Those are all great games. And then Tuesday, December 26, 1967, the Beatles film Magical Mystery Tour premiered as a made-for-television movie on BBC in the United Kingdom. And the British newspaper critics derided it the next day with terms like blatant rubbish, a great big bore, and tasteless nonsense. <laughs> Paul McCartney would later respond, aren't we entitled to have a... Aren't we entitled to have a flop? Well, Sounds exactly yeah. like Paul McCartney. Yeah, nothing. nothing. And then at Friday, all. December 29th, 1967, the good, the bad, and the ugly 
I've never seen it. It was released, produced, and directed by Sergio Leone. And the third Italian Western featuring Clint Eastwood as the man with no name made its debut in the United States. Dubbed in English a year after it had made its debut debut in December 23rd, 1966 in Italy. You never saw that? The Good, no. The Ugly? Maybe you? No. I haven't seen a lot of Clint Eastwood. Yeah, I haven't either. Uh, the only one I've ever seen where he's got a monkey as a best friend and he's shirtless punching people. And I thought... He had to be yeah. shirtless to fight. I, you know what one was good? Which um, one? The one that he you won love an, Clint Eastwood. No, the one he won an Oscar for in mm. like the nineties. Bridges of Madison County. No, not that one. Mm, the one where they paint bridges in Madison County. And then <laughs> no, he punches Western. people. It's a Western. In the eighties. In the nineties. Oh, in the nineties. He made a Western in the nineties. He did, and I can't remember the name of it. Muppets probably screaming at this. It is Walkman right now. <laughs> he does have a Walkman. <laughs> what he does is he downloads our episodes and he and he tapes them onto a cassette tape and then he puts them in a Walkman yep, with orange does. with orange little foam yep. ear things. Yep, that's and he right. listens to them on the streets of Chicago with his rainbow suspenders. I was going to say rainbow leg warmers. <laughs> <laughs> rainbow leg warmers, warmers, rainbow suspenders. Basically dressed like Mork. Red beret. <laughs> he wears a red beret like like rerun. rerun from what's happening and he does the dance every couple minutes. That's what, that's that's how I picture him listening to American Timelines by History for Jerks. <laughs> and Saturday, December thirtieth, nineteen sixty-seven, the number one song on the Billboard charts was the Beatles' "Hello Goodbye." Yes, and then that's a good one. S- Sunday, December thirty-first, nineteen sixty-seven, New Year's Eve, the Green Bay Packers won their third consecutive NFL championship and the right to face the AFL champion Oakland Raiders in Super Bowl two. And they won with 21-17 over the Dallas Cowboys in what became known among NFL fans as the Ice Bowl. Temperature at kickoff in Green Bay, Wisconsin was negative 15 Fahrenheit. The heating system underneath the field had failed, and moisture in the air after the tarp was removed left a sheet of ice on the grassy surface. Packers quarterback Brett Starr rushed for the winning touchdown with only 13 seconds left in the game. That's when it became known as the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. Oh. Did you hear that? Yes, I've heard that. That same day, motorcycle daredevil Evo Knievel attempted to jump 141 oh, feet yes. over the Caesars Palace fountains on the Las Vegas Strip. Knievel crashed on landing, and the accident was caught on film. Oh, that would have been a good one for me to do, too. Yeah, if you, and if you see the video of this, his his whole head actually somehow gets into his anus. <laughs> like, Pretty much. Comes out, his, fa- his head is His whole his. career is, is fascinating. Evil Knievel? Yeah. I used to have action figures at Evil Knievel. Yeah. I was like, Just Evil the whole Knievel. idea of a daredevil. Yeah. It's so funny to me. Like, that's your, what's your job? What is your occupation? I'm a daredevil. I'm a daredevil. Yeah. Uh, you know, that it's just. Super Dave Osborne is pretty funny. Yeah. And finally, that same day, the Brom Quintuplets, Australia's first known case of a birth of five siblings on the same day, were born at Brisbane's Women's Hospital. And wow. they all. Looked and talked exactly like Crocodile Dundee. No, that's not. That's and they all drank Foster's Australian Fabia. And that brings us to the end yes. of 1967. Oh Sorry God. there were so many episodes. We're going to wrap up the 60s a lot quicker because I'm going to cut That's what we say up. every time. No, maybe we're not. Anyway, Just thanks so you for know, listening. that's what we say every time. Shout out to the beautiful Briggs brothers who listen a lot, the Briggsies. Yes, and Dan, Ryan Dave Burkett. And Duncan. Ryan Burkett's listening. Yes. Host of 
the music video podcast. That's right. You got to listen. Chris and Ryan have their have guests that are in Chicago, improvisers in Chicago, super talented, funny improvisers. Talk about uh, MTV. I mean MTV. I guess music MTV. videos. Music videos that used to be on MTV. Yeah. Back in my day, but listen to that. Take a listen to that podcast. It's really interesting. And then I find it most fun to listen along with a computer so that so i can, can look up the videos the video. and then because they talk about them in a funny way yes uh and it's fun to listen to them talking about while you're watching it and you mm-hmm. kind of feel like you're in there in the room with you anyway i would take a fucking bullet for ryan burkett me too no i mean i fucking love that listen guy. i like him better than you do i i will go down on that guy to prove that i like him more than i you. will uh let you okay will you brush his hair i'll braid his butt hairs would you make him cookies I, oh, of course. Hello. Would you like recommend a new hairstyle for him? I kind of like how I kind of like how he goes. He wears. Oh, I think that's my awesome. favorite thing is when he wore. He always wore Vans. Yes. And they're always like real big Vans or something yeah. like the puffy. They shoes. weren't Vans, but they were. Yeah, they were like that style. I picture him always wearing big puffy Vans and like. Why are we talking about this? I don't know Ryan Burkett. Anyway. Thanks for listening, Ryan Burkett. Yes. Shout it's out. Time to get out of here, Chuck Chris Barry. and Ryan from Music Video Podcast. Shout out to everybody. Uh, Matt Truman Ego Trip is the greatest man in American history. Uh, if you don't listen to their albums, you're a stupid piece of shit. Please rate and review and subscribe. Yeah, go ahead and subscribe and retweet, I guess, maybe. And um, tell your friends and your lovers and your enemies. Especially, and, you might want to tell your enemies, depending on how you feel about this And let's podcast. get through this quarantine, y'all. We're going to get through this. We all going to get through this together. You know what I'm saying? All right. Bye. We're so tired of hearing about the six days. I said we're so tired of hearing about the six days. When you were all alone, no watchtower, a kiss in the sky Well, I was barely a glimmer in my young daddy's eyes Said that we're so tired of hearing about the six days One more time, I said we're so tired of hearing about the six days Well, make me shut my mouth now American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Hey, Rick. Yeah, Cam. That sure was a great episode of American Timelines, wasn't it? One of my favorites. What's your favorite? Is it the true crime or is it the history of pop culture? I like the history stuff because numbers confuse me. Uh, I like the true crime because I can't stand listening to Joe talk. Fair enough. But you know what? If someone likes this show... They should really check out our show. Yeah. The Podcast from Hell. Oh, yeah. We're on that show and I do it. That's right. You're the producer of the show and you are a demi-demon and I am the host of the show. I'm uh, someone who was damned to hell to record a podcast for all eternity. Each week we have interesting guests all from the realm of hell. That's amazing. It's a hilarious 
funny podcast and everybody should check it out. Don't you think? I do think. All right. Hey, Kale. Well, yeah. Check out my booner. Okay. That's enough of that. All right. Let's put it, put it down. Uh, yeah. Keeping it real for the kids. The podcast from hell.